Welcome to Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians, a podcast for engaging and informing the next generation of women in medicine. My name is Carrie DeBell. I'm a fourth-year medical student at the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University. Essential Wisdom is a podcast for discussing the joys and the challenges of being a woman in medicine through the sharing of stories and advice by women who mentor us. Take a seat with me at the desks of the mentors. Come along to walk the halls of the hospitals to experience residency and life as a physician personally, as we get to know these phenomenal physicians and scientists. Dr. Sierka is a second year internal medicine resident at Yale New Haven Hospital. She works in the Yale Primary Care Program. She received her MD in 2017 from the Frank H. Netter MD School of Medicine at Quinnipiac University and her MPH in Health Policy and Management at New York Medical College in 2013. She is accomplished in clinical re- as a clinical research manager and project coordinator with experience in cardiac electrophysiology clinical outcomes studies. Her interests now include preventative cardiology and improving cardiovascular outcomes at the primary care level. Dr. Sierka lives in New Haven, Connecticut with her lovely fiance, Camille, and her pup, Lola. I'm so excited to start off our show with this interview. Dr. Sierka has been a great mentor and friend to me since my first year at Quinnipiac, and she's an absolute joy to have on the show for this interview, so welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm so proud of you for this podcast, and I'm happy to be a part of it. Ah, yay. So, Lindsay, let's just start off um, by having you tell us a bit about your path to becoming a female physician. Sure. So, it seems like I've been on this path for quite some time, um, but there was never really a point in my life where I didn't um, ultimately see myself being a physician. I was raised in a family of nurses, so my mom, my dad, my grandmother. Um, there was a very strong medical presence in my life from a pretty early age. Um, and as I started to go through school, um, I was really interested in science, um, but not just science, the intersection of science and how it can be used to help impact people in their day-to-day life. Um, so for me, medicine was a pretty natural choice. I felt like as a career, there's a lot of opportunities Um, to take a lot of different pathways in your career. You can do research, you can um, do clinical practice, administration, advocacy, leadership, community involvement. So it was sort of this all-encompassing career that can allow me to have a lot of different avenues while still focusing on something that I love and that I'm passionate about. So um, I'm really happy that I ended up in medicine. It was a tough road, but for me, it was definitely worth it. And I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be, which is a good feeling. Yeah, that's awesome. Would you say that for you, Um, being a doctor was the plan from when you were young or just being in healthcare? You know, that's a really interesting question. I've actually talked to my mother about this and I, we tried to pin down, like, if this is something that I've always wanted to do. And, um, as a child, I was actually really into um, music and singing and dancing. Um, and everyone thought that maybe I would end up somewhere in the arts, but, um, for me (laughs) kind of took a little bit of a turn, but I feel like there's, there's ways to have that creative expression in medicine that I've liked. Um, so I think that as I've kind of grown in my academic interests and kind of grown into the person that I am, I think medicine became more of a natural fit. 
Um, if they want me on Broadway, maybe I would go. But <laughs> in the meantime, I'll stick with the hospital for now. <laughs> Do you feel like for you, research is where that like creative artistic part comes out? You know, I really think it is now that you mention it. We've worked on a lot of research projects together. Yes. Some very successful, some not so much, which yes. happens with research and we do the best we can. Yes. But you're right. I mean, the design of a study, you know, doing the background research, executing it, um, the organization, putting all those pieces together. Like for me, there really is a creative process in that. And I think um, there's a lot of freedom too to design studies the way that you're interested in and to make it work for you. So that's sort of been a creative outlet for me, I think. Yeah. That's good. I definitely agree. I mean, I mean, obviously, I we've had a great time doing different projects together. Just so you guys all know, as a little background information, Lindsay and I have worked on cardiology projects together since I started at Quinnipiac. And um, I think the, the most fun part is that we always do start from the beginning. That's <laughs> Designing true. Designing the whole thing and going from the ground up. And I know not everybody always has that experience in research. So I feel like that's part of the, the joy and gift that we had kind of on our projects together. Absolutely. And I think um, we probably learned more from our projects and studies that haven't worked than we have from the one that did work, which is helpful. So, I mean, a lot of work goes into research and not everything that you do is going to be a groundbreaking study. Most things are not. So just finding ways to improve your practice and getting something meaningful out of it for, you know, the medical community as a whole, but also for yourselves. How can you be a better researcher and um, kind of grow and develop yourself through the studies that don't work as well? And then ultimately it'll kind of help you move forward and, and hopefully have some grid studies as well. So I think we've had a little bit of both, but I've really enjoyed the process working on it so far. Me too. It's been good. It's a good learning process. Um, so you mentioned before that you have family mem- members that are nurses, mm-hmm. etc. Um, do you think that in your path to being a woman doctor, there was ever a question in your mind, I'm a female, like, should this not be something I pursue? Yeah, I think it's challenging. Um, when I look back, the majority of exposures to physicians that I had in my life were male. Um, I had a male pediatrician. I always went to male doctors. My first job um, that I absolutely loved was with a cardiology practice um, that had around 20 physicians and only two of whom were female. So it was really difficult for me early on um, to get female physician mentors, and I really haven't had that to this point. Um, The majority of my mentors who are wonderful um, had been male, especially in cardiology. And it wasn't really until I got to residency that I started to um, see more female physicians and sort of interact with them and, and see what it's you know, the process is like for them as a female physician, as opposed to the male physicians that I've been working with. So I think um, my family was incredibly supportive. There was no one who ever told me that I couldn't be a doctor. Um, Of course, I had some cautionary advice from, you know, some other physicians about, you know, work-life balance. And if you want to have a family, maybe a career in medicine isn't the best for you. But I think a lot of those thoughts hopefully are starting to, you know, die away. And, Mm -hmm. you know, but I feel like that's persistent in you know, medicine for women as well. I think it's really challenging that, you know, if men may not be questioned about how they do their work-life balance, but women are, and that's something in the forefront of our career decisions. But for me, it really wasn't. I knew that I'd be able to balance, you know, doing what I love and practicing and have the life that I want. You know, a lot of jobs, you're going to work very hard. There's people who work, you know, a lot harder than I do as a physician and and they make it work. So I think it's, it's, there's never been any obstacles for me, but there's always been sort of a overarching theme that, you know, the traditional role model that I have hasn't been male, um, but I've still found a way to make my own um, path as a female physician. Yeah. That's interesting because I feel like a lot of women talk about 
um, mentorship and whether or not it was a female or a male mentor that helped mm-hmm. him along the way. And I think there's really something to be said. I know this is a podcast about listening to women, um, mm-hmm. but I think there is really something to be said about women having male mentors also. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, similarly, I've had yeah. a lot of different male mentors and they've all made a great impact um, mm-hmm. on my journey. And so, yeah, I think that's a really relevant point that we all can learn from. But you also brought up a lot of big questions like work-life balance, um, you know, and how that in- integrates into our life as women, as doctors. Um, so t- before we kind of dive into those big questions, mm-hmm. just tell us a little bit about like what you do now. So you're an internal medicine primary care resident. Mm-hmm. And what does your week or like life kind of look like? Right. So I'm in my second year of residency. So I'm about halfway through with my internal medicine residency. Um, at the Yale primary care program that I'm in, we spend a about um, half of our time in the hospital and half of our time in the clinic. Um, it tends to be a, a more outpatient-focused model than a lot of the internal medicine programs, which I really like. Mm-hmm. So um, any given um, week, I could usually spend you know anywhere from 60 to 80 hours on a busy inpatient um, hospital shift. We do the ICU. We do regular medical floors, subspecialty services. Um, and then the next month, I might be spending you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week working in our outpatient clinic. Um, We serve mostly um, underinsured and underrepresented populations in New Haven who have difficult access to care. So it's an uh, interesting population to work with. Um, But our clinic is almost entirely residents under the mentorship of our faculty. So we get to see um, our own primary care patient panel where they identify, you know, the residents or myself as their primary care physician, which is great. Um, But you're able to do that under the support of um, the physician. So depending on my schedule, I'll be either inpatient or outpatient um, any given week. Awesome. So you get to do a lot of different experiences, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if many people are familiar with the primary care kind of track Mm -hmm. um, in this whole thing, but it seems to be a really great opportunity to integrate all the different types of medicine without feeling like you're constantly in an inpatient setting. Absolutely. And one of the um, great things about doing internal medicine that really attracted me to it was how broad it is. Mm. I mean, I knew I was interested in cardiology um, pretty much since the beginning, since I started working, but you get so many different exposures. So a lot of people, if they don't want to commit to one you know, certain specialty or another, you really get to see it all. We'd have um, liver patients, we have infectious disease patients, we do a lot with addiction medicine, psychiatry, and there's sort of all these different um, facets of internal medicine that kind of come together in this program. So um, it helps kind of develop you holistically as a physician to get all these different exposures. And then as you go into your career and start to narrow your focus, you do have this breadth of experience that you can really draw on. And it's helpful um, not only for people who aren't sure what they want to do, but for people who, like me, who know what they want to do, but really want a diversity of experience. So I think that's been really helpful for me. That's awesome. In your program itself, then, um, are you one of like many different females in the program, or what does the ratio kind of look like now? You know, I don't know the official ratio, but I feel like it's very close to 50-50 if nice. it's not, which is amazing. Um, and there's a very diverse population of residents that I work with, um, people not only from all over the country, um, but internationally, people from a lot of different backgrounds. Um, there's sort of a running joke that I'm like the native Connecticut girl, because I've <laughs> never, literally never left Connecticut. I have no intention awesome. of leaving. Um, so I kind of feel like the welcome wagon for all these people to come into my state and train here but it's also a great opportunity for me to just see you know different people and we all work really well together and it just shows you like no matter where you come from if you're in a program that supports you you're going to be successful there Um, and a lot of our program leadership as well um, a lot of our faculty and advisors um, a lot of them are women Mm -hmm. Um, they have a pretty strong presence in making sure that they bring the women together and that we feel supported and there's a big push for um, diversity inclusion not just male female but 
um, of all different backgrounds. So I felt really um, supported and welcomed for sure. That's so good. I love that. Yeah, which is great. I love that. So kind of in the process of getting through medical school or even in residency for you, um, Mm -hmm. what would you say is one of the bigger challenges you face being a female? I think one of the bigger challenges, at least for me, um, that may be applicable to other um, females getting into the medical field is um, confidence. And mm-hmm. I was actually talking with one of our um, program directors, one of our one of my mentors, and there's for me was a big gap between confidence and competence. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that tends to be more of a um, female physician issue where you know, you don't have less skills than anyone around you, but you feel like you do. Hmm. You feel like, you know, maybe you're not smart enough. Maybe you're not supposed to be there. We talk a lot about um, imposter syndrome and feeling like, gosh, you know, how did they let me into this amazing hospital to work here? Like they're going to catch on to me any moment and kick me to the curb. (laughs) Um, So, and I didn't realize that that feeling was shared among a lot of my female colleagues and some of my male colleagues too. Hmm. Um, But for me, that was the biggest thing is that, you know, I was intimidated by, um, you know, older physicians. Everyone seems so much smarter and wiser and I feel like that was part of the growth as well as just acknowledging that you have to start somewhere. You're never going to have all the answers. Even the senior attendings that we work with um, don't have all the answers. And just acknowledging that you have room to grow, but that doesn't mean that you are not in the right place and that you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure if that's more, I felt that way more because I was a female in sort of a male dominated um, arena, but mm-hmm. that's definitely something that I've kind of struggled with throughout my training. Wow. I did not expect you to say that. Really? <laughs> no. Most, you know, most people don't, no, which no, is interesting. <laughs> I find you very confident. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, I feel like it's it's different on, uh, especially my intern year. Intern year is the hardest. <laughs> yeah. Literally, you're plucked out of the security of med school and just made a doctor overnight. Mm. And, <laughs> you know, it, that that was one of the hardest transitions is, you know, taking ownership for your actions and being like, no, mm. like I've trained for this. I know what I'm doing. I, I'm a physician and sort of owning that role. Um, and that's sort of been a growing process over at least my intern year. I feel like I'm more comfortable now, but there were so many times on the floors where, you know, I would find myself presenting in the form of a question or asking, you know, my superiors, well, you know, presenting the data and say, well, what do you think? <laughs> Instead of saying, well, here's what I think. Yeah. And that's sort of been a fundamental change in how I mm. approached, you know, my day-to-day activities from medical student to being a resident. That's been a, a big change for me, but it's hard to do. And I didn't even realize I was doing it. And I would get feedback from some of my um, faculty and advisors saying like, do you, did you realize you were doing this? I'm like, no, I thought I was just trying to be a good doctor. They're like, no, you got to own it. You need to, you know, put your money down. And um, that's been something that I had to consciously do. Whereas in different areas of my life, that might, you know, confidence might not have been an issue. But mm. in the inpatient world, I definitely felt that a little bit. Wow. So did that mostly come to be like you recognized it by talking with the people in your program? Or? Absolutely. Okay. And I, I obviously internally knew that there was a certain level of discomfort. You mm. know, you go from. Um, you know, medical school where you get this breadth of knowledge and it's amazing, but to actually go out and practice it can be very challenging. Mm. Um, so for me, I was always a little bit self-conscious and nervous and, you know, cause there's high stakes. You want to make sure that you don't make mistakes, that you're practicing appropriately. Um, and I felt like that kind of did weigh on me. And then I just didn't realize how that translated to the people that I was working with. Mm. Um, so when I did get that feedback, it was pretty, um, important for me to kind of correct my course and just be more um, cognizant of it, I think, and be more intentional with my word choices and how I acted. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't until like, yeah, the the leadership sat me down and said, 
you know, th- this is what's going on. And they literally drew a graph for me, a confidence and competence graph. Wow. And said, like, wow. you know, and said, like, you know, this is where you are. Like, this is where you could be. Just saying wow. that, you know, it's, it's not an issue with me, whereas I felt like I wasn't smart enough. It was more of my confidence and how I portray myself. And that was something that I've really been working on. So. I feel like that's very humbling. Yeah. <laughs> to notice that. Yeah. And to talk about that with someone. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's that's one of the best things about mentorship and having advisors is you need people who know you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had I was lucky enough to have people who see me, you know, grow over the course of a year and work with me regularly and say, hey, I, I noticed you do this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe you should try doing it this way. So I feel like if I didn't have that mentorship and support, I probably just would have kept going on my, my usual way. Yeah. So. Wow. And it's always helpful. It's, it's challenging to talk about, though, because we never want to acknowledge our shortcomings. But um, I feel like it's helped me grow a lot mm-hmm. as a physician, which has been probably for the best. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's great to have the opportunity to have people that invest enough in you to recognize that and yeah. then be comfortable coaching you through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty great. So on the flip side, yeah, um, best thing about being a woman doctor Best thing about being a woman doctor? (laughs) Oh my goodness, there's so many great things. Um, Gosh, what's the best thing? It doesn't have to be specific to being a female, but maybe just being a doctor. (laughs) Being a doctor. You know, I think that, at least for me, and I don't want to speak too broadly, but there's always been this feeling of like overwhelming empathy in Mm -hmm. me. Like I feel like I want to care for people. I want to, you know, be there for them, support them. And I feel like I'm in a role where people invite you into their life like at their lowest point and they you know need your help want your help and you are in a position hopefully most times to help them so for me it's sort of satisfied this internal need where I want to like give back to people and to have it be appreciated um, by the people that you're taking care of and your patients has been probably the one of the best experiences about being a doctor just having someone like sit down and say like you know thank you for listening to me thank you for taking care of me anytime anyone says that to me I just light up like for me that's the best part <laughs> wow. and like it's always been a part of you know who I was and to have a career where I get that um, every almost well, hopefully if I'm doing my job right most days or every single day I think I feel really lucky to have a job where that's part of my day-to-day routine is to you know, give and to get back, Yeah, you know, there's a lot of careers where you may not necessarily get back and that can be challenging. Yeah. So, you know, working the hours and putting all the time in all the training, like it makes it worth it when it's so fulfilling for you. Mm-hmm. And that's been the best part, I think mm-hmm. for me. I love that. One of the words that I'm focusing on this year, cause it's like, you know, January, welcome mm-hmm. to 2019, um, is like heartfelt. And mm-hmm. I have been trying to think about how like heartfelt integrates into my job is separate from just like my outside life Mm -hmm. um and I do think that that's like a great gift from being a doctor and maybe even a special thing about being a woman doctor Mm -hmm. um that very heartfelt empathetic part of the job and the life I like that yeah heartfelt yeah that's my word word. that's my (laughs) word for the year I like it 2019 heartfelt I don't know um so I guess one of the other things that we always talk about in female doctoring and, you know, kind of making things work in your life is this idea of balance. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if balance is ever totally achievable. Some people think it is, some people think it's not. Um, but is there a way that you think that you cultivate any habits that help you live like a more balanced lifestyle? Um, I think, um, at least for right now, I feel like my, I have, you know, great balance. I'm in the heart of residency and I can honestly say that, you know, I work a lot. Training's very, you know, long and arduous at times, but I really feel like I have time to do all the things that I want to do. Um, one thing for me is, has been prioritization. So trying not to overextend myself, which is something I had a, you know, 
um, had done in the past where, you know, I'm not going to make it to every event. I'm not going to be able to see my friends and family as much as I want to, but being there for the things that count and trying to do as much as I can without overextending has been a big part of what I try and do. So I've you know, come, become more accustomed to saying, you know, no, I'm sorry, I can't do it, or trying to find ways to fit into my schedule. So prioritizing um, not only time with friends and family, but things around, you know, the house and life that you need to do has been really important. Um, also, I like to be really efficient. Efficiency in all things yes. is one of my mottos. Um, so just, you know, d- multitasking, double, triple tasking at the same time. If I had some downtime in clinic, like today I was working on one of our research projects, and just making sure you use the most of your time that doesn't necessarily mean that you're working the whole time. You want to work smarter, not harder, um, is one of my favorite phrases as well. So just and making sure that you incorporate and schedule time not only for work but also for you. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to watch The Bachelor on Monday nights, which I do, that's not a, a <laughs> promo, but I make that's, that's in my. I know from eight to ten yes. o'clock that's what I'm going to do, awesome. and that's important to me, you know, because you need that. And if you don't prioritize your out of work things as significantly as you prioritize your in-work things, and that's how you can really get the misbalance. So I've really made a conscious effort to kind of incorporate all fields in my life and making sure that my life's full in that sense. Mm, full. I feel like that was a Lindsay drop-up. That was Lindsay's essential wisdom. Um, work smarter, not harder. Yes, Everybody, that absolutely. was the goal for today. Yes, it's my favorite. <laughs> work smarter, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and having a full life. I mean, I think that you bring up a good point there is like, putting all of your priorities out and then saying, how do I organize this? Mm -hmm. And that actually leads me kind of to the next question is I was going to say, then how do you choose how you set your priorities? Uh, (laughs) That's true. Um, It's hard. It's hard. (laughs) It's hard. But I also think that when you set your priorities, you need to be flexible and forgiving with yourself Mm. under flexible, understanding that things are going to change. And then forgiving saying, you know, it's not going to be perfect all the time. I can have the best laid plans that I'd like, and guess what? It might might not happen. I might not clean the whole house on Sunday. Maybe I just hang out and you know spend time with my dog. And so, just being forgiving with yourself if you don't meet all those priorities or priorities, but still having an overall sense of like what's important to you in life. What do you want to get out of it? Why are we you know spending all this time training and doing you know all this time in the hospital if your life is not going to have joy in it? So. Just find, figuring out what brings you joy and finding ways to maximize that. Mm. Yeah, that's a hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. The art of getting your priorities in straight. And it's, 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 it is an art. Straight, it's absolutely yeah. an art. It's not a science. And, you know, everyone's life looks different. Yeah. Um, and just understanding that your life is not necessarily going to be exactly the same as your co-residents, as your, as the students that you, you know, study with and work with, it needs to work for you. Mm-hmm. And you can't, you know, apologize for how you want to live your life. If you are living with joy, then you're doing something right. And I think comparing with mm-hmm. others can kind of set that back. Mm-hmm. So I've really tried to steer away from that as best I can. It's very hard to do, especially in today's day and age. Yeah. Um, but just keeping your focus on what's important to you and trying to eliminate as much of the rest as you can has been helpful. I like that. That was good. Um, so I guess then just to kind of bring all of it together, if there was a piece of advice that you were giving to either a med student or a pre-med student mm. for them at their stage in their career, their path, what would it be? I think the piece of advice that... It can be for both. For both. If you want. You know, I think medicine is a long road. And I feel like that was a lot of the feedback that I got early on in my journey when I was, even when I was pre-med, before I even looked at an MCAT study book. It is a long road, but I never looked at it 
as a cumulative number of years and gosh, this is how long it's going to take. Mm. Um, and I think that that can be a big deterrent for people. It's, you know, you know, pre-med is, you know, four years of college, four years of med school, three years of residency, maybe longer if you want to specialize or do something else. So I never looked at it in a sense of it's this long process. You just take it, you know, one step at a time. I think that's the advice that I wish that I had gotten. Um, just, you know, keep your head down and look at what's in front of you. Um, and understanding that, you know, you may not get through every obstacle, but all you can do is try. You know, if you want to get into med school, go for it. If you want to take the MCATs and try and study for them, do it. You know, if it works, great. If not, you know, adjust your course and and find something else that you love. But I think that it's worth definitely trying for and putting your heart into it if you could see that as something that you want to do. I would not be turned off by, you know, the years of schooling and the hours because if you're passionate about it and it's what you want to do, you're going to spend the years doing something else anyway. So you might as well do something that you love. So I think that's the piece of advice that I'd give young women doctors to be out there. Yeah, I love that. You're going to spend the years doing something else anyways. That's so true. Do, doing medicine. Seriously. Exactly. I love why, that. why not? That's why not? That's great. All right, Lindsay. Well, Dr. Sierka, sorry. Oh. <laughs> that is the end of our interview. So thank you to everybody that's listening out there for our first episode. Um, I'm so happy that we have Dr. Sierka. So thank you for oh, being here. Thank you so much for having me. I know. I had a great time. Thank you so much, Dr. Lindsay Sierka, for coming out to be the inaugural guest on Essential Wisdom, Inspiring Future Female Physicians. I also want to say thank you to all the listeners out there who heard this first episode of the podcast. If you are interested in hearing more, we'll have another episode coming up this Thursday. Don't miss it this Thursday. It's going to be Dr. Rashma Janja. She is an internal medicine um, physician. She works in an outpatient setting in Bloomfield, Connecticut. So if you're interested, please tune in. You can find our podcasts at Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and then as well online at essentialwisdom.buzzsprout.com. If you're interested in hearing a little bit more information about each of these amazing female physicians, please check out my website. It's essentialwisdominspiringphysicians.com. You'll be able to find some show notes, a little bit more information about all of our women speakers, and a little bit more information about what's coming down the pipeline. So Essential Wisdom will be coming out with episodes Mondays and Thursdays through the months of June and July. So please subscribe, tune in. There are going to be a host of just phenomenal female physicians talking about their lives, about their stories and their thoughts on this entire topic. So please tune in. There'll be a lot of specialties, lots of interesting information. And if you have questions, if you have comments, please leave them. I would love to hear what you have to say. I would love to hear questions, things that you want to hear more about, um, maybe topics that are on your mind. So you can leave me a note, just drop a comment online at essentialwisdominspiringphysicians.com. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can't say it enough, everyone, for coming out to listen to the show on this inaugural episode. Have a great week. Happy Monday.